0: Hi, everyone. Good morning. My name is Rohan, and I'm the membership deacon, and I'm bringing the Bible reading today. There are two readings. First reading is from Micah chapter 5, 1 to 5, and the second reading will be Mark chapter 16, 1 to 7. So can I encourage you to open your Bibles with me as I read through? If you do not have a Bible, please grab one from the back of the church. That's a gift from us to you. Micah chapter 5, 1 to 5. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, prata, though you are small among the clan of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins for, are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the times when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his, her brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the lord his god and they will live securely for them his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he's he will be our peace the second reading is from mark chapter 16 1 to 7. when the sabbath was over mary magdalene mary the mother of james and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And as as they and they asked each other who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. But when they looked up they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be afraid, he said. You are looking for, a, for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here, there the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you.
1: I do appreciate having the privilege of sharing with you in this Christmas season. On a topic that many of you would know is dear to my heart, and that is the resurrection of the King, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, some years ago, uh, Beverly and I were travelling across America, or part of America anyway, and we were driving through Georgia. And my wife saw a sign to planes. She probably made the mistake of saying to me, ah, look. There's Plains, Georgia. Well, if you know anything about me, that was an irresistible moment. I had to turn the car and head down the 20-mile track, it said, to Plains, Georgia. What is Plains, Georgia famous for? It is the birthplace and home of the former American president, Jimmy Carter. And, of course, Jimmy Carter is a Baptist And so I thought, well, can't avoid this, off we go towards Plains, Georgia. As you get close to Plains, you come towards Jimmy Carter's peanut farm. And I kid you not, there are guards on the road, fully armed, and big signs start to appear, do not slow down, do not slow down, do not slow down. I can assure you, you don't slow down. You just keep driving, and when you get to Plains, Georgia, there's nothing there. There's a Baptist church, there might have been one shop, and there is that little railway station shed. That's it. That little railway station shed. It's a museum. And on the shed, you see this sign Jimmy Carter. Presidential Campaign Presidency. That's where Jimmy Carter ran, started his campaign to be the president of the most powerful nation upon this earth. And you go into the shed and think, this cannot be. It just cannot be. Out of this little railway shed came the president of the United States. And what we read earlier is one of my favourite passages in scripture from uh, Micah 5.2 that reminds us that out of Bethlehem, Bethlehem a city that was so underrated and so small that it couldn't get together a thousand fighting troops and you had to get together a thousand fighting troops in those days to be seen as a town of any significance. It's near Jerusalem, it's small, but surely nothing could come out of Bethlehem. Oh, it has a kind of a link to David, King David, birthplace, but beyond that, what on earth could come out of Bethlehem? Well, out of that minuscule city, town, came the saviour of the world. And the fascinating thing is that when you look at Micah, you learn some things about this saviour. You learn that it's a saviour who death could not hold. You learn that this saviour is both God and man. Both God and man. A truth that's going to be played out even in the last chapter of the Bible, that Jesus is alpha and omega, he's first and last. And if you look at the scriptures, to be called alpha and omega and first and last, they are titles just reserved for God. No one else can have those titles. The Bible finishes with that, but also he's the offspring of David. And there you have it, as the Bible finishes, it reminds us that Jesus is both God and man. And friends, basically every heresy, every divergence from the Christian truth has been a denial of one of those. Oh, Jesus, just a good bloke? No, he's God. Oh, Jesus, just a Harry Potter story we all had to have? No, he is man. God and man. And here it is again in Micah. The one who is coming out of this nondescript town is the one who will be greater than David even though he is not mentioned. Why will he be greater than David? He's born of a woman, born out of labor. He will be king of Israel like David, but look at the language that goes with him. He is divine origin, God, from of old, from ancient times. That that probably means two things. He's fulfilling all of the prophecies of old that go back to Abraham, a promise of a son. But he's beyond that even. These promises are eternal. This one is eternal from of old, from ancient times. He's for me, says God. He is my representative. He is a shepherd, not a warrior. The strength of the Lord is upon him. And he will bring peace and he will bring harmony. What we understand from the word peace, shalom, in Hebrew, is he will make us right with God, our neighbour, our creation. He will restore all things. He's a hope of David, more than David, born of a woman, ancient of times, old, the one alone who can bring peace, the strength of God. Is upon him. There's an old churchist uh, um, leader in the very early stages of the church by the name of Tertullian and uh, Christians have got it wrong. They, they thought Tertullian wrote, I believe because it's absurd. He didn't write that at all. We know he wrote, it is certain because it's impossible. One of the greatest centers of our hope is this, think about it. It is impossible that someone could change the world born out of Bethlehem and basically doesn't go more than about 50, 60 miles from Bethlehem and all human history has changed. My gosh, a four year term president can come out of planes and none of you remembered his name. Why, everybody knows at Christmas it's the name of Jesus who came out of Bethlehem, whether they believe or reject. Extraordinary. It's impossible unless God's hand was upon it, it is certain. I was, uh, this Easter I was speaking at a... Uh, a a Christian uh, school high school and they had all year 11 in and uh, I've done this a few times and all year 11 comes in and it's uh, they want me to speak about the resurrection and you know you have the headmaster and teachers around the the walls and the and the students the young men it's a boy school all sit there and uh, when it's time and I've finished it's Q&A and a and you can imagine these uh, year 11s are a little bit anxious because everybody's watching them, including those who write their references. And uh, when it came uh, the question time, one guy put his hand up and said, look, I hear what you're saying about the resurrection of Jesus, and we've been studying it here at school for a few weeks. But look, what does it really mean for me? I mean, really, I, I, you tell me why it's different and change Well, what does it really mean for me? And I just looked at him and thought I'd ask this question. I said to him, do you love this school? And I didn't know the answer. Fortunately, it was, yes, I do. I love this school. Me and my mates really love the school. And the way he said it, you knew he really loved this school. Then I said to him, this school is called Trinity. Yes. I said to him, if this did not happen if Jesus was not raised from the dead, you wouldn't be in this school. Beg your pardon? This school would not exist if Jesus had not been raised from the dead. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus that we have a Christian school movement. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus, education was born globally. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus, hospitals and care and ministry came into our world because of this person who was born 2,000 years ago this Christmas. Oh, he says, wow, wow. Think about it. Out of Bethlehem will come this god man what do we do with this ourselves well what do we do with this hope what do we do with this truth of the of the resurrection of jesus friends as we've heard this morning we have to passionately take that upon ourselves and minister it in our, our lives our community in our church we need to be vibrant with this truth We need to ensure that all hear of this wonderful message of Jesus. It requires our allegiance. Because it is a universal story. I think I've shared here before, what are the first two sins of the Bible? Think about it. What are the first two sins of the Bible? The first sin is in Genesis 3. And that is Adam and Eve... Rejecting God's path, will for them, and deciding to take their own course of action. They're going to find their own values, they're going to eat of the tree God says not to eat of, as symbolic of the fact, no, we'll find our own way, thank you very much, in this wonderful paradise you have given us. The first sin was turning their back on God. What was the second sin? Genesis 4. Brother kills brother. And the Bible and Christianity is not complex, but it is unique. It points out that the first two sins of the Bible were rejection of God and then rejection of each other. The vertical was broken, our relationship with God, and then our horizontal relationships, as Genesis 3 points out, became very troublesome as seen in Genesis 4. That's why the one who came said all of the law could be summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbour as your self. I've come to reverse what happened in Genesis 3 and 4. I've come to bring back Genesis 1 and 2. I've come to restore us in every aspect that's been broken. Relationship with each other, and connection, and friendship with God. And that's our universal story. When we you know, look at stories like uh, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, when we look at C.S. Lewis, Narnia, even when we look at Harry Potter, all of them are telling basically the same story. There was a time... We've lost that time. There is evil and there's darkness and we need to restore that through one who comes and brings us restoration and takes us into the promised land. Whether it be Gandalf in Lord of the Rings who dies and rises again, whether it be Aslan the Lion in uh, C.S. Lewis, Narnia, who dies for the sin of the boy and takes him into the promised land. Or whether it be Harry who had said of him after he died facing the big serpent and the evil one, he is risen. It's a universal story and longing to return to what was lost. Friends, it's happened. That's our hope. That's what Micah 5.2 says. There will be one who will bring in this day, the God-man who will be the shepherd, the strength, the one who will restore all who will bring peace. I, um, I am sure I mentioned here a couple of years ago that uh, I think a defining moment for many was a and a program on the ABC when a guy called Peter Hitchens, who was the brother of Christopher Hitchens, and Christopher was arguably the world's most famous popular atheist uh, who died recently and his brother Peter used to be an atheist and then uh, converted to Christianity, saw the truth, became a follower of Jesus. And in this Q&A program on the ABC, uh, the presenter is asking everybody, what is the world's most dangerous idea? The four or five on the panel and uh, Christopher. Uh, Peter Hitchens seemed to be the only Christian on the panel, which was not unusual if you know Q&A, and they're asking the question, what is the world's most dangerous idea, because there was a festival of dangerous ideas taking place at that time at the Opera House, and I paraphrase, but it basically goes like this. Peter Hitchens says, the world's most dangerous idea is that 2,000 years ago, this man called Jesus... Died, buried, and rose again. Because if that is true, it transforms everything. It transforms everything. It is the world's most dangerous idea. We're part of it. It's a hope. It's interesting when you read, those verses from Mark and those first couple of verses that lead to the story and the account of what happened with the empty tomb, you see, and all the gospels say the same thing, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all say the same thing. On the first day of the week, the women go to the tomb. Where are the men? Hiding, of course, but it's the women who go to the tomb who have the strength. The women go to the tomb, And they go on the first day of the week. That's certainly a time marker, but it's more than that. Because when I say the first day of the week, when they say the first day of the week, what immediately comes to your mind? Genesis. On the first day of the week, God created those seven words, transform everything. On the first day of the week, God created... And this is the eighth day, if you like, because when you see it on the first day of the week, what happens in Genesis 1 on the first day of the week? Light comes into darkness. Chaos starts to be transformed on the first day of the week. And as you read the accounts in Genesis, on the first day of the week, it's dark, light's coming, light has just dawned, depending on what gospel you're reading. But very clearly, on the first day of the week, as I go to the tomb, light is breaking into darkness. I am the one who recaptures all things. I am the one who's recreating I'm the one who is restoring. I'm the one who's bringing the new day, the hope, the restoration of Genesis 1 and 2 and more, which will find its ultimate fulfillment when I return. But the spark, the flame is now beginning as Pentecost sees the Holy Spirit poured out on his people. Friends, that's the hope. Toon Gabby Baptist, you are the hope. You are the vehicle for Christ. You are the hope for this community because in Christ, we do bring a new day, a new order. Where there's no Greek, no Jew, no male, no female, no slave, no one who is economically judged. Racism's finished. Any form of sexism's finished. Determining someone's worth on economy is finished. This is a total change of status that is revolutionary. The world's never seen it like that. It's always had the elite. In fact, the Holy Spirit pours his gifts upon people in a non-elite way. So the master might be the one who is putting out the chairs and the servant might be the one who's leading the service. This is totally totally back restoration new order and we are we are the children of the first day of the week we are the ones who have the hope of the truth to share with our community i hope you see that i've underlined hope there or made hope uh with a capital h why because let me say with all honesty Hope only has a capital H when it's associated with God. If we want true hope, then it's connected to the truth of the Christmas message. So what's it look like, this new day? What's it look like? Well, Tim Foster, some of you might know, uh, was uh, involved with um, Anglican Youth Works, uh, but now he's down at uh, Ridley College in Victoria, He's got a little chart that we'll look at now and you'll see that Tim suggests this is what it looks like. That when we understand that this is the new day, that we see Christ as the centre of that new day and we see that Jesus' life shows the way, his death makes that new way possible and his resurrection brings a new way. If you like, Jesus is the model of discipleship His death makes our slate clean. There's no sin too big for God to forgive. His death makes our slate clean. And his resurrection through the Holy Spirit writes that new story on our slate, on our heart. We are the people of the new day. We are the people of that hope. We are the people about the transformed community. And as he points out so faithfully there, it changes who I am. My significance is no longer found in what people think about me. My significance is found in the Lord God, Jesus Christ, who loved me so much that he died and rose again for me. So I have an eternal relationship with him. I have new meaning, new values. That's my significance. It's also saying that God is concerned about all of creation. All of creation will be restored, as Genesis 1 and 2 points out. And it also means that the social understanding of our communities is no longer the same. Read Paul and see the revolutionary change he is making to societies and community. And by the way, when you see that, go to Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11. Well, you see uh, Cornelius, the Roman official, is asking for Peter to come and visit. And Peter thinks he can't visit because on the house of Simon the Tanner, he is contemplating what that means. I can't have any dealings with a Gentile. And then he has that vision that all food is clean. And he realized that what separates him from the Gentile has gone in Christ. And he heads up to see Cornelius, and Cornelius' family is converted, and they're baptised in his stakehold, and Peter makes out that incredible cry, now I see that God has no favourites. And many scholars, Christian and otherwise, believe that is the first universal declaration of human rights. Because that world had favourites everywhere. But our God doesn't. Our God has no favourites. This is absolutely revolutionary. And, friends, we need to be able to take that hope down and share it at all sorts of different levels, as I was saying, including the questions our grandkids ask. uh, As I left the pulpit Beverly was just saying to me that uh, our daughter Briony rang to say that Romeo had another question last night you might help me with this one if Jesus is eternal why do we celebrate his birthday this kid's five If Jesus is eternal, why do we celebrate his birthday? James, I'll leave that one with you, okay? You can look after that one. Um, By the way, if you have questions that grandkids like and ask, will you email them to me? Because I'm looking at writing a book on the questions that grandkids ask uh, because they're great. But what I've discovered is that grandkids tend to ask questions of eternal hope significance. And can they trust it? For example, all creation. I still remember driving two of my granddaughters back from their Bible study group, and one was probably about 13 at the time, and her, their family dog had just died. If you know families and dogs, this is a big deal. And I don't know why, but somehow it came up in the group, probably wanting people to know about her day, and the teacher basically dismissed it. Oh, dogs don't have souls, you know, you know find another one kind of thing, which wasn't pastorally particularly helpful. And so the question in the car driving home was will my Fido be in heaven? Now, I don't have liberty to say yes to that or no to that. But what I can say is that everything that we love and appreciate, everything knows how small or big, God will recreate. Just look at the images throughout Scripture of all of creation being restored. In other words, we're not going to be, you know, sort of, airy ghost floating things, the best of what we now know will be recaptured. And of course, Romans 8, 18 on says, God's power, all of creation is waiting for restoration. Will it be peaceful? They're surrounded by images of war. Read Micah 4, 2 to 4. Yes, there will be no weapons of war. Yes, there'll be no training for war. Yes, there'll be no need for war. Oh, wonderful. And the fig in the vine tree is there, which is a symbol, fig in the vine tree of universal peace. Would it be everlasting? Romeo has picked that up. Yes, he'll be our God forever and ever. Would it be effective? Yes, Isaiah 9, he's the governed, he has government and counsellor. Everything will be well and proper and there will be justice. That last one is really tough. Because you've got grandkids, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, the chances are they know people or friends have taken their own life or died in tragic circumstances. And for what they could tell, they weren't followers of Jesus. So when a 13-year-old says, so-and-so has died, my friend, and I don't think they love Jesus. Where are they, Papa? Where are they, Papa? Worship, rejoicing, yes, glory to God in the highest. No pain, no suffering, as Revelation twenty-one uh, four to five says. There will be no pain. There will be no suffering, friends. It is a total new day. I've got to ask: Are we excited? We're excited. This Christmas, think about it. Why it's good to remember all the symbols of Christmas. Let us remember our hope is centered on this particular fact that the one who was born in Bethlehem would change the world forever. And it is impossible. This is impossible if God's hand is not Upon it. Oh, it's time to um, sing a new song, isn't it? And uh, we've been singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, in writing a, a book with one of my colleagues, we came across this missing verse from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Now, you know, verses got in and out, and there's numerous editions before they settle on the final, but this verse was in some of the early manuscripts. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. Universal nature say, Christ the Lord is born today. Now display thy saving power. Ruin nature now restore. Genesis 1 and 2 is back. The Bible begins with it and finishes with the promise of it. It's back. And we are the agents of that. Oh, I love how Tom Wright puts it. With the resurrection of Jesus, God's new world has begun. In other words, his being raised from the dead is the start, the paradigm case, the foundation, the beginning of that great setting right, which God will do for the whole cosmos at the end. The risen body of Jesus is the one bit of the physical universe that has already been set free, set right. Jesus is therefore the one through whom all, Everything else will be set right. Thanks Barry for that slide. You know, some of you would be aware that I spent a number of years doing a radio program on Sunday nights at Sydney. And Christmas season is is great, you wouldn't miss it. Playing carols, talkback and the like. But for many people, Christmas is a blue Christmas, a blue Christmas. And, and this year, a couple of ministers have come up to me and they've said to me, uh, with respect to a blue Christmas, they've made the statement, Ross, do you know anyone who's had a tough year? Kind of thinking, oh, pretty well everyone, I mean. <laughs> but do you know people who could speak? And I said, why? And they said, well, every Advent season, we have a service that focuses on Blue Christmas. I said, why? Well, it's the one that the community comes to more than any other. Just a chance to debrief and and talk about loved ones lost or situations or whatever. And in that situation, we bring them the hope of Christ. See, Christmas, we know what it is to have joy and rejoice even in the hardest of times because of the hope It brings. Even in death in God, there's only resurrection. Will we make sure that those around us have that truth? I'm going to ask that we all read together this statement. This is the statement of the early church. We know that this statement was read in the church in Corinth within two or three years of the event of Jesus' death and resurrection. This is what the early church died for. This statement the early church would say in Corinth basically every time they gathered. This was their hope, that the one born would take them into this new day. This hope, no one, no one, whatever our situation can take from us. Please read with me. For what I received... I passed on to you is of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And of course Cephas is the old name for Peter and this is a truth from the Old Testament scriptures that is verified by their witnessing of that fact. It's certain because it's impossible. Oh, what a hope. Let me pray for us. Father, we enter this Christmas season with a great deal of confidence, that you are the one who died for us. You're the one who sets us free. You're the one who empowers us to do wonderful and new things into our community. You are the one who allows us to accept each other, irrespective of our race and irrespective of our economic status irrespective of whether we are male or female. You want us to celebrate and work together for your kingdom. Father, I would ask that all of us here would have a blessed Christmas, focused in the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen King, and whatever has been our lot this Christmas, and you will find meaning and truth. God bless you. Thank you.